What? I think you dropped your Bible. That's not mine. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you drop it. No, that's not mine. Get out of here. I love geography. I don't know about you, but maps have fascinated me. Maybe it was because as a little kid, I would put together all those little like puzzle pieces that were shaped in the states. And so when I meet someone who doesn't know where a state is, or they don't know what direction they're to go to get to Canada, or they don't quite understand the kind of some of the nations in Europe or something like that, I get a little fascinated because I love looking at globes. I like looking at maps. I like knowing where I'm at. This is especially important. Geography is important when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to understanding the Word of God, because this isn't a particular location at a particular time. Many of us don't know where the cities are. We don't know what river's going where. We don't understand the geography at all. And when that happens, a lot of times we miss out on a lot of information. But you know what? There's something even greater in the Bible that we need to understand. A map that often we're not shown. A map that honestly can challenge us because we don't hold the same cosmology, big word for the same way the world is made up, but it's a map about how the Hebrews viewed the universe. And what I would need to do is I need to show you this map because the map of the universe, the way that they went outside and they observed their world mapped onto their spiritual thinking as well. You see, they didn't just have a geography. They had a spiritual geography. They understood the locations of beings and things in this world according to geography. Let me show you this real quick. See, the Hebrew cosmology looks strange to us. If we begin with the earth, they viewed it as sitting on the waters in between heaven and the great deep. Now, heaven is God's home, sealed off by the waters beyond the stars, the sun, and the moon. And beneath the earth is this underworld where Sheol sat. It's the grave. It's the home of the dead. It's where everyone goes when they've died. It's where the shades and the souls are found. No, beneath that is the great deep. This is the sea or the open ocean where the demonic and the opposing forces were exiled, where Leviathan rages and Rahab, the wind god, blows and makes storms. It's in this location that we often find all of the opposition to God. You see, we have a scientific worldview. We don't see the world in that way. We don't understand it as, oh, God's up and, and hell is down. And while we may say those things and capture those ideas, we understand that the stars are balls of gas out there in the universe. I'm not quite sure what is beyond the edge of the universe, but we don't maybe think it's cosmic waters or something like that. And what we will discover is that what we've lost is the spiritual aspect to our right cosmology, where they had a right spiritual cosmology, and we think it's empty. So I don't want us here to look at this and think, oh, those dumb Hebrews, they thought that the world was flat and all that stuff. No, that's not what I'm arguing. What I'm saying is they would look at us and they would say, you don't understand the spiritual realm. And we would look at them and say, hey, you didn't have the right scientific understanding yet. Because to be quite honest, a lot of what they saw was just a general observation. 
you walk out on the earth, you look up and there's a blue sky and there are stars up there and water comes from down up there and there's a raging ocean and we've not been to the edge of that thing. We're not sure what's out there. We have a lot more knowledge about the world around us, but we have a lot less knowledge about the spiritual ramifications of that world. And if you don't hold on to that spiritual ramification, if you don't hold on to that spiritual map, the book of Jonah is not going to help you. Or you're going to be completely confused about what the message is. You're going to get caught up in um, this whole idea of a fish swallowing a man. While that can happen, and I believe it did, it has a lot more spiritual implications than you and I think. In fact, when we start talking about cities and locations, it has a lot of information that we often miss. For example, if you said somebody was moving to Hollywood, you're saying a lot more than a location. Same thing is true in all these spiritual locations that we're going to be looking at today. And the first one we're going to begin with as we dive in is the sea. You see, God has control over the sea, over this Rahab and over this Leviathan that stirs up the waters. Take a look here. In fact, we begin in the Psalms. In Psalm 89, where God's rule is being declared, it says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. See, while the, the people around him, the pagans around him, believed in this Rahab, God was in control. He was in control of the chaos monster called the Leviathan. In fact, he asks Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? He had the power over this very creature. And what we see is that God is in control of all this cosmic reality. And that will help us as we dive in to Jonah chapter 1. And we again return to verse 17 or verse 1. And so if you've got a Bible, open it up there. You can find Jonah. It's in all the Old Testament. It's kind of in the small little books in the back of the Old Testament, just before you get to the New Testament. And if you see names like, you know, Joel and Amos go left, you see Daniel go right, and you will land in a little book called Jonah. Jonah is only three chapters long. And I want to encourage you to just dive in and take a look. So we begin here. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh and that great city, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So just a reminder, here he is, he's pressing away from God, he's running from his calling away from Nineveh, which is this representative of this horrific location of blood and evil. We'll get into more of that even later. The Assyrians were difficult. It was their enemies. Now he's running away from God. And where does he choose to go? He chooses to get on a boat. He chooses to go into the sea, into the location that belongs to the demonic, the location that belongs to chaos. And so as he gets into this water, as he begins to sail out, we begin to see something interesting occur. We pick up in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
And what's interesting about this text is that what we have is Jonah in a boat where God is going to stop him. God's not going to take this lion down. God's going to stop this runaway prophet. He's going to turn his people back to his call. And what's crazy is everything in the text obeys God. The Rahab, the wind, obeys God. He casts it like a spear. The, 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 way, the seas are listening. It's as if God has control over it all, because he does. Even the ship is listening to God. In fact, what's funny, if you look at it, the ship says it's threatening, as if it has its own personality, to break up in destruction because it knows God's angry. There is this personification that everything and everyone is obeying God except Jonah. I mean, this is an upside-down world. It would be like you have everything working for you. The computer boots perfectly. There's never a hitch in your whole day. The car runs great. Your wife's like giving you everything you need. Your husband's like answering your every beck and call. And all you got, though, is one child that just won't listen to you. It doesn't matter. Everything else is working. The demonic world is working for God, and yet his own prophet isn't working for him. And this is the point. It's irony. It's trying to draw out the picture. You see, at least for Christians and for those of us who are like, who, who love God, look, Christians look odd when we say no, Lord. In fact, humanity looks odd when we say no, Lord. The no, Lord heart is an odd thing that God would create you, that he would make you. For Christians, that he would save you. And then that we would say no, Lord, to his calling. We would say no, Lord, to his request that we would know him. It's an odd thing that we would run from the call. It's odd to think that a Christian or a human being would not seek out God. It's an odd thing that Christian would say, I don't need to go to church. It's an odd thing that we'd say, you know what? I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to know who God is. I don't need to understand this stuff. It's an odd thing that we could have gifts given to us by God and we wouldn't use it for him. That's odd. That's weird. It's as odd as the demonic world obeying God and a prophet not listening. <laughs> what we have here is this irony, this sarcasm, this satire shouting at us because we are in the situation in which now we have Jonah disobeying and everything else obeying. But here's the other funny thing about this text. Look, the sailors are caught in the middle of Jonah's punishment. This is Jonah's wind that he's receiving. It's his waves that he's receiving. But it's the sailors that are suddenly caught in the middle of this. It's so powerful, so sudden, so incredible. It says the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They were like, hey, we got to figure out something's wrong. They saw the Rahab and they saw the Leviathan and they saw Baal, Zephon and all their different gods doing something. They're trying to figure out who's angry at us, what is going on. And I'll tell you what, if Phoenician sailors were looking around at this mess thinking we're going to die, this is a deadly dangerous storm. God's caught their attention. He's trying to capture Jonah's attention. But here's the weird thing. They're caught in it. And I would tell you what, if we saw somebody suffering from our sins, if we saw somebody suffering from the things that we did, if you're watching this and you know that you have rejected God's word and you rejected God in some area and you see people suffering from that, I hope we would have compassion. I hope that we would move towards them to, to, to repent and turn around. Jonah doesn't. No. In fact, it says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleep or rise? 
Call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give a thought to us and that we may not perish. This is f so funny. This is hilarious. Jonah's ignoring the very discipline God's bringing him, and he's just pushing it off. Jonah apparently saw the storm because all this is going on. They're crying out, but Jonah, he goes down to the inside of the ship. He lays down in the inside of the ship. He's going to sleep again, down. Last week we talked about this. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went, now he's going down into the inner part of the ship. And he's now fast asleep. This guy is deepening his rebellion against God. He's ignoring God's signs. He doesn't care what's happening to anybody else. That's a danger because we too can keep going down. God may be shouting at you right now. He may be trying to get your attention. He may be using COVID right now to wake you up that he is calling out to you to repent of your sins and come after him. He may be using COVID to wake us up as a church and say, you're walking away from my calling. Stop ignoring me and trying to go back to bed. Stop pressing into the Netflix. Stop doing these things. He may be using a messed up marriage in your life. He may be using a rebellious child. He may be allowing some kind of financial difficulty in your life because he's trying to wake us up to get us back in line with him. As Christians, it may be get back in line with his calling. As a non-Christian, somebody's just watching this, he may be calling you in the middle of your stuff to wake up. It's not that he hates you. It's not that he dislikes you. It's that he is seriously trying to get you to turn around. He's going to use all this stuff to help you, hopefully, wake up. But if we don't care, and we don't see that our sin could even be affecting other people, man, we're just going to sleep. See, here's the thing. Jonah was comfortable in his sin. Jonah was in a deep sleep. This word sleep is at the level of surgery sleep. It's used on Adam in the beginning of the Bible when God chooses to pull the rib from Adam. He puts him into a deep sleep. I don't know about you. I've had a few surgeries in my life in which you're laying down on the bed and suddenly the anesthesiologist comes in and he's talking to you and uh, you're looking at him. He's like, yeah, how are you doing? He's like, good. I'm going to put this in your arm. He does the whole thing. You're like, oh, cool. And he goes, I'm going to count backwards from 10 and then, uh, you know, you're, you're going to fall. So I'm like, sure I am. He's like 10, 9, and boom, I'm out. Next thing you know, I'm laying in a bed. They've just torn my wisdom teeth out of my head or whatever they're doing, right? There's all these different things that have gone on. And you're going, wow, that was a deep sleep. I don't remember anything. The word for that term has been translated oblivion. You're oblivious to the things around you. This, he's so comfortable in his sin, in his rejection, with the storm raging, with God using all of his enemies to wake him up. And he's asleep. It takes a captain to come downstairs, a pagan captain at that, who's been calling out to other gods to go down and call him. You see, because the captain is going through the storm. The captain is going through the stuff. The problem is, guys, when we ignore our sin, it's horrible because it can hurt others. We ignore our sin, and it hurts other people. It just does. I don't care where you're at. God may be bringing things to your life to wake you up. And that is harming and causing problems with other people in your life because God's trying to get your attention to turn around. If we're callous, we'll just ignore it. You don't think God will use things and your sin can't hurt other people? I think we all think, hey, man, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. We're all good. That's our cultural thinking. And it's not. It's dumb. It's not smart. It's just it's dumb. 
let me explain. If Jonah running away from God ain't going to hurt anybody, right? Except it is harming everybody around him. What we don't see is that our sin has social ramifications. Our sin has family ramifications. Our sin has major ramifications. I knew students who would say things like, well, I mean, we slept together. It was just mutual, you know, it didn't really matter. But it affected their next relationship and their next relationship. It affected their marriage. Some of them got married and they'd slept before. And and it affected their parenting because now they were wondering, how are we going to tell our kids? There's always a ramification. It always hurts someone. See, the situation isn't about, oh, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody, it's okay. It's really about, I don't care if it hurts someone because I want to do it. That's the real danger, that we become so callous, we ignore our sin, and it hurts others. Just ask the children of a divorced family, of somebody who's addicted be it an alcoholic, a workaholic, somebody who's addicted to their phone, ignoring their children, somebody who's addicted maybe to any type of thing. Maybe ask someone who's got an angry parent. Ask someone who's living in an anxious, ridden home. Guys, sin affects everyone. It just comes out. We can't ignore it. we got to wake up. we got to get connected. We need to turn it around. Figure out what's, figure out what's going on. See, the captain here, he, he wants to figure out what's going on. He awakes Jonah up. He's like, call out your God. He has more care about the gods than Jonah does. And yet here suddenly in verse 7, we pick it up. He says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, are, what people are you? And he said to them, well, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now this is fascinating. Jonah likely told them that he was fleeing his God when he got on the boat in the first place. And probably was a fairly familiar scenario as people trying to flee from what they perceived as a God who was trying to punish them or destroy them, maybe because of a famine or something like that. But in this case, Jonah's running off and they're like, yeah, it's no big deal. It's another guy running from a God, whatever. And here suddenly is the issue. He tells them, look, I'm a Hebrew. You know, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry. And they're like, what? You worship the God who made all this? And you see all this mess? And you're not doing anything about it? What in the world is happening? What do you mean? You th- you're some prophet or some kind. What is going on here? That's the funny thing, guys. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to those Christians out there. You can't be a secret follower. You just can't. God won't let us be secret followers. God's going to expose. He's going to pull us out. He's going to bring about that, that pot for, you know, for Jonah and down lands that lot and boom, pointing right at him. And he's got to explain who he is. And it may come to you that suddenly you're in that neighborhood and you're suddenly told, hey, aren't you that pastor? Because that's what happened to me brand new neighborhood, I move in, I'm thinking, I'm going to lay low a little bit. That way I can build some relationships and people don't freak out that I'm a pastor. Too late. Everybody on the block had already found out I was a pastor before I ever moved in. And so everybody's watching my lawn and everybody's watching my attitude. Right? I mean, I just didn't get a chance to be a secret anything. 
And God doesn't want us to be secret. Not at school, not at work, not on your block. God's not going to let you. He is going to pull you out. He's going to expose his followers. He's going to show you off. See, and God will often expose us through other people's dedication. Let's let's just be honest. There have been many, many issues where, or at least in this case, where these pagans were being very, very faithful to their gods, calling upon them, doing all these things. And then they come and they rebuke Jonah. And Jonah has the audacity to be the one who says, well, I fear God. (laughs) You fear God? Look back in the text for a minute. It's these guys who said they were afraid. It's the pagans who are freaked out. He's asleep. Who fears God? It's the irony, the satire. He said, they're like, yeah, I fear God more than everybody. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what a blowhard. This guy's ridiculous. He doesn't fear the Lord at all. He's a hypocrite. He's a guy who's showing off his hypocrisy. He is saying, hey, you know, I fear God, but they were afraid. He's saying, I fear God, but they're the ones that pray. He says, he fears God. Man, we get to laugh. That's pretty funny. There's the satire. And that's not that funny when we begin to really examine it and when suddenly we as Christians do the same thing. When we as Christians look, and I'll be honest, there have been many times where I've watched the faithful Mormons go door to door to door to door to door, knocking and trying to help people come to know what their faith is. And man, they give two years to it. Have we gone two years door to door to door to door to give away the gospel? Are we too busy? You see Muslims who will routinely pray three times a day over and over. Man, I just go like, wow, what a dedication. Are we that way? It's when those who are not Christians show off their faithfulness. When an atheist studies like crazy all the other worldviews just to make sure that he feels like he's right. Guys, shouldn't that push us in a direction of understanding that we can't be secret followers, that we understanding that we should be the ones after it? God's going to expose us. He's going to show us by using other people. See, he's not going to let us say, no, Lord, I don't want to go do that. No, Lord, I don't want to show that off. No, Lord. How can we say no, Lord, and still call him Lord? We're as ironic as Jonah at that point. Well, they don't know what to do, and so they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Oh, ain't that nice. Uh, Here we've got a young guy, Jonah, who's telling everybody, Hey, yeah, I I obey God, whatever. And they're saying, We're all going down because of you. He's like, Yeah, you want it to end? Throw me over. He's not willing to throw himself over. He's not willing to stop this and, and turn around. He's like, nah, you guys throw me over. This is ridiculous. Jonah is so callous to their situation, so comfortable in his sins, so dedicated to pushing away from God, not doing what God wants him to do. He's not even willing to make the sacrifice necessary. See, every prophet in the Bible had to make some kind of sacrifice at some point. Moses literally stands before God and says, hey, you know, kill me instead of the people. You know, get rid of me. Put, put the blame on me. We have a, David steps up in front of Goliath and is like, I will die. I will stand for Israel. These kind of sacrifices are found time and time again as these various prophets reveal that they're willing to sacrifice and do something difficult on behalf of Israel. Jonah wasn't. Not on behalf of these guys that he was called to, the nations. Man, he's just like, whatever. You guys throw me over. 
Make you kill me. Isn't that nice? Ha ha ha. This is the, the, the situation when we reject our calling. We, in essence, tell people, save yourself. When we reject our calling, we tell people, save yourself. There's a famous story out there, and it's actually a clip. You can go find it. And uh, Penn and Teller, and, and uh, I believe it was, I believe it's Penn who stands there. And he says, after a particular situation where he'd done his comedy and magic routine, a man came up to him and said nervously, you know, hey, here's, here's the Bible. I don't want to push anything on you, but I really hope that you'd find Jesus Christ. Gives him the gospel and leaves. And Penn's telling everybody, he's like, you know what? I appreciate that. You know, I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist. But at least this guy who thinks I'm going to go to hell cares about me enough to try to do something about it. Now, that's a statement. That he would be a person who cared about him enough that he would reach out. When we don't, we just consider it the opportunity for somebody else to save themselves. We kind of just go, you know, you go ahead and do it. Throw me over. And if we don't have a heart for the lost... We still are lost. Let's just be honest. If we don't have a heart to save the lost, we're still lost. Jonah, in this case, is just ridiculous. In fact, it's crazy. These men aren't willing to do this. It says, nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for man's life and lay innocent blood, uh, on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. And again, here it is. Jonah wouldn't save them, but they tried to save him. This has just come to the end where they had no choice. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Their fear went to the max. Jonah's fear didn't change. And, oh yeah, I fear the Lord. But they feared him even more. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These guys were converted. They were transformed. People go, oh, they weren't converted. Yes, they were. You, to make an offering to the Lord and make vows to the Lord, you've got to go to Jerusalem. You've got to go to the temple. These guys had to find out about the Lord, sail back, land, hike to Jerusalem, go to the temple, make the appropriate sacrifices and vows to be faithful to Yahweh who saved them. This is, this is amazing. What you and I see here is that God loves, loves, hear me, to rescue rebels at their worst. You may be sitting here today looking at your sin, saying, I've pushed away from God. I've done these things. I'm causing pain to my family, my friends. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And God's waking you up through COVID. He's waking you up through this mess by the storms and the garbage. He's letting all the world's problems in his control to shake you. And you're ready to do something about it. Well, God's willing to do it. God's willing to, to be a sacrifice for you. He doesn't need you to do the work. He'll be the sacrifice for Jesus has done that on your behalf. And we can be changed. He loves to rescue the rebels at the worst. That's why he's called us to get that message out there. That's why he's called us to go out there. He saves these men in the middle of their storm. In the meanwhile, we got another rebel at his worst. He's now sitting in the ocean. The storm is crashing and raving and now it starts to calm down. Jonah probably couldn't swim, and so now he's sinking, and he's sinking, and we come to that famous text 
where it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We go, oh, there's the fish thing. Hold on a second. Go back to that cosmic cosmology for a minute. Go back there to that spiritual reality. What's interesting is this great fish. Later, Jesus will actually state this very thing. When Jonah was in the belly, he does not use the word fish. He uses the word ketos, and this word means sea monster. And what's gone on is that God commanded the very Leviathan monster to come and swallow him up and bring him down. You're saying, this is real? No, this is how Jonah's portraying it because he's giving you a spiritual reality. Jonah is telling you, I was saved by the demonic Lord down there because God told him to hold on to me. Even at Jonah's worst, God used even the worst thing that they could imagine to save him. Another God, another being in the mind of the ancient world to save him. Now, it's likely a, a fish or something truly swallowed him up. We can go into that another time. That's not really the debate that we're looking at here. What we are seeing here is that this one, Jonah, had to be saved by the opposition because the Lord was going to save him even at his worst. Getting into a little bit more of what happens after next week, but here's the point. Jonah is thrown over and saved by this chaos monster in a full irony where the man of God wouldn't save people, the enemy of God would save the prophet. And suddenly we have this situation that reminds us that if we're going to continue to follow after our sin, we're going to go all the way to the bottom. We're going to be all the way into the, the lowest point we can. You can't get much lower than the deep. And that's where we find ourselves when we reject God. And yet God still loves to rescue rebels at their worst. And so here's my challenge. If we don't hurl our rebellion away, if we don't throw it over the side, like God hurled the storm and they hurled their stuff and suddenly they hurled the lots and now they're hurled Jonah. If we don't hurl our stuff over the side, we're going to be hurled. We're going to be thrown. We're going to be tossed. We're going to be removed. It is our call to not be people who resist sin, but to hurl our sin away, to run straight to God and be transformed by Him. Christians, we have a calling. We have a calling to bring this message to people. Let's, again, hurl away our rebellion and run after God. But listen to me today. I want you to hear this song that we're going to be singing. Because God wants you to hurl away that brokenness, hurl away that sin, throw away that rebellion, put it aside, and He'll make it beautiful. Listen to this song. Listen to these lyrics. Stick around and contemplate that God is calling you to Himself. He's calling you to throw this stuff aside so that you will not be thrown down. Will your grace run out if I let you down? Thank you. 
those words in that song have become something that challenged you. God calls us to hurl away our sin. In fact, what's beautiful is that God did this because he has a sacrifice. Jonah wasn't willing to be a sacrifice, but Jesus is. You see, Jesus, who could calm the seas, Jesus, who could walk on the water, Jesus, who has control over the winds and all these things, this Jesus hasn't come to destroy us. In fact, what he came to do was to be the sacrifice on the cross. And as he bore our sins on the cross, he gives you that chance to take that rebellion and fling it on him so that we are not flung into hell. 
so we're not flung into the furthest depth away from God. God doesn't want you to be away from him, away from his presence. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to know him. And so he sent his son Jesus to bear our sin that weighs us down into hell. And he took that hell from you and bore it on himself. And hear me today, he wants to remove that and take that brokenness aside to make you beautiful, to make life beautiful. And he gives you himself. He says, take it as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't collect it. You can't do enough things to make God happy with you. He's already happy with you. He already loves you. Just receive his gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you'll do that, you will be saved. You won't be tossed. So today I want to encourage you, right where you're at, to receive that gift of the sacrifice of Jesus, who is willing to be tossed upon a cross for you. If that's you right now, just bow your head with me. Let's, let's just talk to God and say, Father in heaven, I believe that I have sinned. I've been in rebellion. I know you love to rescue rebels. Would you rescue me? I trust that Jesus Christ has taken my sin, my rebellion on the cross. And I trust that he has taken it away from me, that he's made a sacrifice and that you're going to make me right. Bring me into your presence so that I'm not far from you now. Bring me into your presence. In fact, come into my life, please. And lead me now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, indeed God's presence is with you. Your sin is removed and you are a part of his kingdom and he has brought you in. We want to help you understand even more about what has happened. So let us know. You can simply text the word BEGIN to the number on the screen. Or you can let somebody, the moderator, know in the chat on this app. And so you can go ahead and let us know that you made that decision. Or go to our website and let us know that you made this decision because we want to help you understand what God is doing as you've hurled away your sin. And now he has made you right in his presence. He's taken and he's making you something beautiful. We want to help you know how to walk now in a relationship with God. So let us know that you've done that and we'll connect with you. Otherwise, God bless you guys. And let's be a people who are out there helping other people hear about the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ.